Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. Well, for those who are coming for the first time, let me uh, welcome you also. My name is Femi, and um, we're so happy to have you here with us. Um, once again, apologies for the heat. Actually, heat seems to happen when we get up and we start singing. So we'll probably apologize one more time because I think we're going to end in a flourish. But, um, you know, it's funny, I, with some pastor friends of mine that um, are not in this country, I was talking with one a few um, uh, days ago, he's in Houston, and he said, oh, the most attended service of the year, by, by and large, there is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. In Nigeria, Christmas Eve, you are, why would you be in church? You know, you are preparing for what's going to happen. Uh, if you're in the UK, it's, it's Easter. It's mainly Easter. Easter is the most attended service of the year. And then you have the Christmas carol service. Not in Nigeria. You know, here we know what it is. Uh, it's the end of the year. Crossover. We need to be there. The first thing I should say is that we've made it, aren't we? Are we uh, we've made it. It's not yet December 31st. So let's, let's, let's not become too overconfident, right? Today is December 30th. But there's something about, for us, I think the crossover, I mean, not just um, in our traditional um, religions, where, for instance, Yoruba had uh, Odun, you know, so that represents going from one season to another. There's something about the crossover. I think it's rooted in, in rhythm. Rhythm. You know, we, we are people who love our beats. We like to go, you know, uh, a, a, a bit, even if you don't like the song that is being sung, you still, you, once a good beat comes, some old musician said, whether you like him or you don't like him, you go still there, shake body. You know, if a good rhythm comes in, doom, to doom, to doom, 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 to doom. You know, we love it. And we continue to follow the cycle. And the rhythm doesn't only just come in beats, but it comes in other things. If you don't have rhythm, for instance, in somewhere, your heart, you know what happens. You know, right now your heart is probably going, I don't know, how does it go? I was about to, uh, it's, okay. All right, it goes normally, but then if it starts going faster and faster and faster, we know there's a problem. If the beats actually go awry, then you know there's a problem. If the beat just ceases, that one is not a problem. That's, go, go get a casket, right? Uh, okay, we are not going to end the year on a very morbid note, I can assure you. Uh-huh. But beat rules the world. In fact, rhythm rules the world. That's why in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 8, we are told that as long as the earth endures, sea, time, and cold, and heat, summer, and day, and night will never cease. There's a time to plant but there's a time to harvest. And it's because of that, when we think about, for me, it's July 20th. When July 20th comes, that's another rhythm, another cycle. I add another year. Many of us celebrate our birthdays because of that. So we recognize a particular phase, and we go into another phase, but then also we 
go back through those phases. Now, when we are going from one phase to the other, we call that a transition. A transition. I think one of the reasons why the crossover service is the most attended service is that during transitions, we think about what has happened in the, in the previous phase, but we say, you know what, I want to set myself up for the best fortune in the phase that is to come. So very often, you know, I know some of you bad boys that are here, um, you, what used to happen back in the day is that you will be so happy you made it, so you'll be in a beer parlor, you'll be drinking your life out till like 11.51. <laughs> because you've targeted that there is a church that is three minutes down the road. I said, but that's 11.54. Yes, but you've been drinking for so long, so it's not going to take you three minutes to get there. You understand? You stagger probably now eight minutes, and by 11.58, you enter into the church. Just the point of transition. And basically, what you're thinking is, if I make it, if I'm in the presence of God or with God's people during the transition from one phase to the next phase, I'm all right for the next year. I may look silly, but really there is something to it. That transitions make us feel like we need to do something to set us up better for the season that is to come. That's why yesterday I was... I was so burdened because I felt like, as an emoji, the people are waiting for a word. And you know, an emoji means a man of God. A difference between a man of God and a man of God. So as an emoji, I was like, the people need a word. They need to be transferred from one season to another. You know, the burden was so much upon me. But I have good news for you. The word has come. Gloria. But you see, this is why even I would say that there is that trend that we have in our churches that someone with the weight of the people's expectation feels that there has to be some divine intervention, divine visitation, so that people can go in with something to the new year. Now, often, you know, what has happened is that it's probably descended into a little bit of ridicule because somebody comes up with 25 uh, prophecies here, another one comes up with 10. Many of, the, many of them are contradicting themselves. In fact, the person with 25, within the 25, there's contradiction. And most of them are always, either always all positive or they are very generic. Something like, God says, there will be a plane crash this year, but if we pray, the plane crash will be Averted. You know you can't lose that way. Because if a plane crash happens, well, we said it happened. If it doesn't happen, what happened? You see, we, we, are, we are good. We men of God, we know how to... Uh... But let me say something also. Without going down into um, superstitions, the ref- I think transitions help us to do two things. One, they help us to reflect. It's a time of reflection. As you are getting towards like now, December 30th, you should be reflecting on what has happened throughout the year. But also, they help us to look forward. If reflection is a mind exercise on the past, then resolutions are a mind exercise on the future. So we have the opportunity to both reflect and to resolve 
to looking forward to the year to come. And I think if that is done very well, what we can come up with, not necessarily a word for the year, but at least we can encapsulate it within a theme. And as pastor in this church, at least since I've spoken with many people during the course of this year, whether in counseling or known people's expectations, or also if I just reflect on the city of Lagos, I think I have a theme. Last year we were looking, we said we wanted 2018 to be a year of focus. 2019, I think, is going to be, well, I'm proposing that it should be the year of faith. The year of faith. Now, don't forget, I said transitions offers the ability to think about how we've lived our lives in the past, but also how we're going to live them going forward. And so in thinking about faith, I think what we've titled this sermon, as um, Francis said, there will be two others after, but titling this, this crossover sermon, if you like, is Living by Faith. 2 Corinthians, verse five, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by faith and not by sight. So there are three things I want us to talk about and think about in this sermon. The first is the age of faith. The second is the nature of faith. And then the third is the life of faith. The age of faith, the nature of faith, and the life of faith. Now, I should say this, as we start in the first one, is especially my first two points, will be a little bit more of teaching rather than uh, preaching. But um, I thought, you know, with faith, it's probably more important for us to really be sure about what we're talking about before we see how to apply it. Amen. So let's, th- let's start. The age of faith. Look at that text again. For we walk or we live by faith and not by sight. You know, if you, are, if you spend just a little bit of time in Nigerian Christianity, in Lagosian Christianity, faith is a very important word, isn't it? A very, very big deal. Do you have something, you, do you lack something that you want? Well, somebody will tell you, just have faith. Is something undesirable happening to you right now? And you want to get out of it. My brother, just have faith. And if there is something you've been praying to God for, for a long time, and it hasn't come, my sister, just have faith. And you know, the funny thing is that the verse we just read seems to support that. It says, for we walk or we live by faith, but not by sight. In other words, it's saying, don't live as some of us would say, don't live by what you see, but by what you believe you can get. If you envision it, you can have it. Now, this is what Paul is saying. Well, I would say this. Here's one thing he's definitely saying. Maybe I can contrast, I can put it this way. Uh, If you've been living in your house for upwards of let's say the house you're currently living in, upwards of two years and above. Can you raise your hand up? Upwards of two years and above. Now, I'm sure if I put this challenge to you, let's say it's uh, 10 p.m. at night, and I said, put off all the lights, and let's say you're upstairs. I say, close your eyes. And let's say, um, I, uh, I say, go to the kitchen. And you have to pass two, three rooms. Do you think you can make it to the kitchen? With your eyes closed? How? By faith. Uh, no, it's not by faith. Yeah. What? Muscle memory. Now, if I told you to put on the lights and go to the kitchen, will you be able to make it? Yes. 
How would you make it? By what? You walk by sight. But if I told you to put off the lights and close your eyes, how would you make it? You would walk by what? By your knowledge or your memory. In other words, it is possible to walk by something that isn't necessarily just sight. Sight is ideally how we walk, but it's not the only thing or the only way that you can walk. And Paul is basically saying, if I say walk by faith and not by sight, Paul is not saying walk into a brick wall. He's saying that there is a way to walk that is by sight, the way things appear, and there is a way to walk that is by faith. Now, Again, you know, in, in, um, one rule about biblical interpretation is that you should always read things in context, all right? Now, you can see the context because 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 comes within a longer block of discussion, especially from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Now, if you start in 16, but we're not going there, you go to 18, the clue is there. Listen to what he says, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what appears. We do, not walk by, we do not walk by sight. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. I say, that's what I'm saying. Now, I, I don't have a particular thing that I want, right? But I'm going to walk as though I already have it. I don't have a child, but I'm going to start buying baby, baby things because what I have already received in this, what I have received in the spirit would surely manifest in the physical. That's what he said. That's what Paul said. Right? Because he tells us exactly what is seen and what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Paul is saying there are two worlds. One that is unseen, the eternal world, and then you have the seen, which is the temporary world. Now, some of us who are not Christians, you say this is a problem I have with Christianity, you see, because I believe in science, seeing is believing. I want to say, if you make that statement, and my background is in science, if you make that statement, you are not being very scientific. For instance, um, some of us like to walk around right, you know, um, talking to ourselves and looking very funny. And that's because we put one silly device in our ears. Uh, let me tell you, if you're that kind of person, you look ridiculous when it happens. Are you okay? <laughs> now, what's that device? It's what we call a Bluetooth device, right? Right? And it's connected to the phone that we don't see. Now, how many of you have ever seen Bluetooth? I'm not talking about the Bluetooth symbol. I'm not even saying when it says Bluetooth is on on your phone. I mean, have you seen Bluetooth? <laughs> How many of us warm our food in microwaves? How many of you have seen a microwave? I'm also, I know some of you call your microwave oven a microwave. It's not a microwave. It's a microwave oven. How many people have seen microwave with your naked eyes? No, we haven't. But that doesn't mean it isn't real. You see, what isn't seen does not necessarily infer what doesn't exist. Amen? So if Paul is affirming an internal reality that we cannot see, you cannot scientifically say that that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, because science will tell you that isn't true. That's the first thing. 
But there's another thing Paul is even trying to say. He's trying to say that that which is eternal is even more real than that which is temporary. He said, I fix my eyes on what is eternal because the other thing, if I fix my eyes on it, that's just temporary. It's fading. It's, it's vanishing. It's like, I, I used this example once, but because I didn't pronounce the word, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disgrace. I didn't pronounce the word properly, so I'm not going to disgrace myself. But you know, um, if you contrast between what is gold and what is gold-plated, you must have a word for it. I heard that word. Gold and gold-plated. Which, which is more authentically gold? No, it's hard question. You guys are very bright. Eh? Gold is more authentic. Why is it more authentic? How, how do we know it's more authentic? Because it doesn't, it doesn't wash. It doesn't, it doesn't fade. What is, fade and is, what is fading and is passing away is less authentic than what exists or what is, what is um, much more enduring. So Paul is saying, look, the reason why I fix my eyes on what is unseen and I walk by that is because this one lasts, the other one does not last. We test authenticity by durability and Paul is saying that the unseen world, the eternal world, is much more durable and therefore more real. So why should I fix my eyes on what is not durable? Now maybe this would help us if, I, if we talk about the concept that Christianity teaches. Um, how many of us want to see a better world? If you don't want to see a better world, you have a problem with the world. Alright? I'm sure we all... Yeah, because the world can be brutal. It can be brutal. You have... You know, wars in certain places, you have diseases, you have broken relationships. The world can be brutal. Now, if you were a Jew, especially in Paul's time, if you were a Jew, you would have understood that even though things were very bad, you would also look forward to a time when things will be better. And they divided into ages. Can I have my first slide? They divided into ages, right? The first age, let me first say, is this age that you see. Characterized by sickness, war, ugliness, division, poverty, noise, death. Whereas in the new age, for sickness, we will get health. In war, we will get... Thank you. Ugliness, we will get... Division, we will get... Wow. Poverty, we will get... Noise, we will get... No, who wants a world of silence? You get, who wants silence? Music! Oh, well, I understand. It's the end of the year. You know what I'm saying? You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, uh, sorry, 5, verse 5, he says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit to guarantee what is to come. But in verse 4 it says, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Mortality, the thing that shows that mortality ultimately is death. Instead of death, what will we get in the new age? We get immortality. Now, as a Jew, what you understood was basically this. I serve the God, the living God, because I know that once this particular age has ended, then the next age that will come 
is the age, this new age, where all things are going to happen. Next slide. Is the next age where all things are going to happen. So if you look at the way a... Can I have the next slide, please? Yes. If you look at the, the way the Jews thought about it is that you go from this age, once this age ends, you go into the new age. That's exactly what happens. And so for them, faith was just, well, God is going to bring about a new age. Let's continue to endure all of this thing. But the evidence that they had was just that God was promising them that there was going to be a new age. But Christianity thinks, sees it slightly differently. You see, it says, if you look down after verse, uh, verse 7 of chapter 5, it says, if any man is in Christ, if any man is in Christ, is a new creation, the old has, but the Behold, the new has come. Yeah, but you'd be like, that's a bit of a problem. Because everything that I have mentioned in, on the left-hand side of that table still exists. And some people walk around saying that they are in Christ. So how does it work? Well, Christianity teaches something slightly different. Which is that truly the old age, the new age, has begun... But the old age hasn't finally been taken away. So, show the next slide. It's, oh, it's already there. So, it says that this old age is already, it's here, it's going to end, but the new age has begun. There is an overlapping of ages. If I John puts it this way, it says that the true light has now, is shining now, but the darkness is passing away, it's fading away. And what Paul then says is that, look, there's a way I know. So let, me, let, me, let me explain this overlapping of ages. Um, Premier League, right? Premier League. Now, the league hasn't ended. I want you to imagine a particular world. It's not a far-fetched world. Who are the champions now? Manchester, Manchester City. Liverpool are not champions. What's wrong with you? The season hasn't ended. Now... Imagine that, because there are still uh, 19 games to go, imagine that with three games to go, with three games to go, like the next 16 games, Arsenal win all their games. Keep, what is your problem? Listen, I'm the one preaching. If the wrath of God, I'm going to bring it. Arsenal win all their 16 games. Liverpool draw like a number like five. Manchester, Manchester United continue to lose. Um, Manchester City, the one what? Two straight, so what? Manchester City lose a bunch of games. So, with three games left, with three games left, the gap between Arsenal at the top and the next team is 10 points. With three games left. Now, in football, if you win every game, you get how many points? So, if Arsenal were 10 points ahead with three games to go, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that they are lead. Okay, please, follow me now. If Arsenal are 10 points, look, it's been a very long time. 2003, you know, we've been dreaming for about this championship for a long time. Just help me. So with, ten, with three games to go, Arsenal have a 10-point lead. What does this mean? It means that their lead is unassailable. But here's what happens. They are not crowned the champions until the end of the season. In fact, when Arsenal have a 10-point gap with three games to go, Manchester City are still the defending champions. 
When the season ends, Arsenal will be crowned. But at the time they get to that 10-point margin, we all know who the champions are. There is a prince of the power of the air. He's been the god of this world. But because something else has happened, God has put the enemies under his feet. He said, the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Well, Jesus did that on the cross and in the resurrection. But while we still see all the things that are going on, it's because Jesus already has a 10-point lead. But there are three games to go. In fact, two games to go. And so this period in which there is definitely a new champion, the old one is passing away, is exactly where we are. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 verse 5, he says, look, the way I know this is that God has poured out his spirit. Why? Because the spirit is the one that brings about the new age. But he has poured it out as a guarantee, a deposit. You know how you do it here in Lagos. If you have a party, you get the caterer. You say, caterer, I want you to cater for a party. All right, how much is it? It's 80,000 naira. How many of you give the caterer 80,000 naira? If you give the caterer 80,000 naira, you have not lived in Lagos for a while. How much do we give the caterer? Eh, 50,000 or 60,000. The Shylocks among us will give 30,000. But essentially, the money that you put is a deposit that is guaranteeing, all things being equal, is guaranteeing that you will complete the money that remains, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit is giving to show the new age has started with a guarantee that the old age is finally going to come to an end and will be brought into a resurrected existence in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what he's talking about from verse 1 to 4 of chapter 5. He speaks about having a particular body. We have this dwelling, this earthly tent right now. But we have this spirit in this earthly tent. But we are waiting for a time when our heavenly tent will be put upon us. At that time, we would have immortality. Now, this overlapping period is where we walk by faith and not by sight. And that brings me, therefore, to the second point, which is really talking about the nature of faith. Because what really is faith? Because, look, not just now, well, you, try, you had the uh, alternative this year, but now we're going to the new year. You are going to have the choices in many, you're going to have the choice in many instances to choose between walking by the things that you see and the things that are unseen. So the next question is, what is this faith that we talk about? How do we talk about the faith? So it takes me, uh, what do we understand by faith? It takes me to the second point, the nature of faith. Now, if I ask, what is biblical faith? One very smart person, or a two-no person among you, say, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things. Uh-huh. Thank you. Clap for yourself. You went to Sunday school. For without faith, for the one that must come to him must believe that. And he's a... So why don't you walk in faith now? Now, that's taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, 
where it says that uh, faith, let me put it in another translation. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Question is this. Everybody knows that definition. Well, most people uh, know that definition. But as I often like to say, the fact that we have the same vocabulary doesn't mean that we have the same dictionary. The fact that we use the same words doesn't mean that we understand the same thing but those words. And can I suggest that sometimes the fact that we use the same words doesn't mean the Bible means what you mean by that word. For instance, what does, when it says, hope for? The confidence in what we hope for. What is it that we hope for? When it says that the assurance about what we do not see, what is it that we do not see? And when it says faith, when it says believing in God, what does belief actually mean? Well, let me give you a definition of faith, a biblical faith, and I'll try and defend that. Christian faith is accepting and demonstrating as true what God has revealed through Christ concerning himself in, and his actions in his word, the Bible. I'll say it again. Christian faith is accepting and demonstrating as true what God has revealed through Christ concerning himself and his actions in his word, the Bible. Now, if you go with that definition, you would see that having an accurate view of what God has revealed in the Bible through Christ is essential for faith. Having an accurate view of what God has revealed in the Bible through Christ is essential for faith. Which means you can have three or at least three other alternatives. One, you can be here, you say, I have faith. And by that, it's like, you don't know. You see, God has revealed something to me concerning this particular case. There's a particular issue in my life. Or there's a particular issue. Let's not even say your life. Where are our single men here? Single men. Single men, put up, damn, will you put up your hand? <laughs> are single men here? All right, all right, okay, okay. Some of them are putting their heads down. Now. Where are single, are single sisters here, single ladies? Throw your hands up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so imagine one of those single men go to one of those single ladies and says, Sister, Sister B. I was in a vision in the night watches. When all of a sudden, I didn't even know what happened, your picture came to me. And in that picture, you were wearing white. As a bride adorned for her husband. And immediately I heard a voice behind me saying, This is the one who I have prepared for the one who cometh. And very quickly, I looked around me and I looked behind me. Who is it that cometh, I said. And I looked behind. I saw no one. I looked on, uh, uh, in front. I saw no one. I looked on the right. I saw no one. I looked on the left. I saw no one. And I asked, Lord, where is he? He said, he's right there. I have looked. Where is he? He's right there. Oh, it's me. <laughs> and so the, he told the sister that God had personally revealed something. 
about her to him. And he has faith that what God has said is true. To which the sister said, bro, I heard in my spirit that was not the Lord speaking. It was a serious case of indigestion. Here's the point. Whatever you say God has revealed to you was not from the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that at certain points God cannot give us impressions. But I'm saying you cannot definitively take biblical faith to be something that God hasn't clearly revealed in the Bible. So, alternative one. That's the first alternative. The second one is that you can see, you can read the Bible. You can say, well, I have this investment I want to make. And then you say, I don't know whether to make it or not. Then someone says, do you have a word? And you say, that's true. So you open your Bible, you start reading, you start reading. You say, ah. You start seeing all those negative passages. You say, no, no, no. Then you now get to Psalm 16. You now say, ah, the lines are falling onto me in pleasant places. I have a good heritage. Please transfer that money. You know the problem there? It was something that was revealed in the Bible, but you had a misunderstanding of what was revealed there. Alternative two. The first alternative is something that was quote-unquote revealed to you, but it's not in the Bible. The second one is something revealed in the Bible, but wasn't well understood. And then the third alternative is what has been revealed in the Bible, but not fully rooted in Christ. The Bible says that suffer not a witch to what? To live. So we must put it in the constitution of Nigeria. If anybody identifies to be a witch, or if I've seen anybody that is a witch, my mother-in-law, as most people see their mother-in-laws to be witches, they must do what? And if we can't do it by capital punishment, we can do it by spiritual capital punishment. Yeah. For you, you, you attack them. Now, what's the problem there? That is something that was clearly revealed in the Bible, revealed in a certain point of God's where God's revelation had come to, but God's revelation has progressed to the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, He is what in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. But that Word became flesh and dwelt among men. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners has spoken to us, our fathers through uh, the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us in or by his Son. Jesus Christ is the final revelation of God. Therefore, if your faith is not rooted in God's final revelation, if you are not understanding the biblical revelation in light of his final revelation, you may have a problem with your faith. So let's take that Hebrews chapter 11 again. And Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 6. Let's read it in context. Don't forget that Hebrews, before Hebrews, you get to Hebrews 11, verse 1, you could have had Hebrews 10, verse 35 to 39. What does it say in verse 35 to 36? So do not throw away your confidence, faith. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. Everybody say promise. 
essential to God's revelation is God's promises. Some people will tell you, oh, there are 8,000 blah, blah, uh, uh, promises in the Bible all apply to you. No, they don't all apply to you. If you understand the revelation of Christ, you start to see how does this promise, how is it fulfilled in Christ? Now, notice what it says there. It says that there is a promise that is coming. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you receive what is promised. So we understand that the rich reward in verse 35 is the same thing as the promise in verse 36. Are we together? The rich reward in verse 35 is the same thing as the promise in verse 36. Now, if you then go to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, what we know about Hebrews chapter 11, some people have called it the hall of faith. Where you have many people that have spoken about that they had faith in the Old Testament, right? But then it says something crucial at the end in verse 39. Listen to what it says. These, that all these people I have spoken about, these were all commended for their faith. Yet, none of them received what had been promised. None of them received what had been promised since God planned something better for us that only together with us they will be made perfect. In other words, what has been promised? Faith is the subject of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What has been promised had not yet been received by all those guys that were there. And it says that, look, even we are not going to get what has been promised Without those guys, for they without us cannot be made perfect. So God's revelation of himself comes in his promises, his actions in the world, the things that he's going to do. He says that in that promise he's going to richly reward. But he says those promises have not yet been fully consummated. And then you say, well, does Hebrews 11 tell me a little bit about the promise? Yes, he does. Hebrews 11.35, it says, Women receive back their dead raised to life again. Well, some people had their dead raised to life. But there were others who were tortured, refused to be released, so that they won't, they won't, uh, they, they, they refused to be released, they weren't denying God, so that they may gain an even better resurrection. That is what we are looking forward to in the age to come. You see, try and understand. And let me read Hebrews 10 verse 37 now. And I think we will then get the picture. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Remember, he said, we have not received what has been promised. Why? Because the one who is coming. So we are going to get the promise when the one who is coming comes. He will not delay. My righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but, we, but to those who have faith and are saved. And it's on account of that, it now says, now faith is the confidence we have in the things that we hope for. The assurance in the things that we do not see. Understand, the things that we hope for is the same thing as the things we do not see. Right? The thing we hope for is the same thing as the things we do not see. But the thing that we hope for is the thing that has been promised, which will be richly rewarded, and that thing is the fact that we'll have a better resurrection. The thing we hope for is the thing that we do not see. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for that that thing we do not see is the eternal world. For our light, our momentary affliction is working for us 
an eternal weight of glory. So there are promises that God has made, but the consummation of all God's promises to his people comes when Jesus returns. Don't forget it says that all the promises of God find their yea and amen in Christ. In other words, when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we see God's promise revealed, but that, re- that revelation of that promise has not been finally consummated. He has won the league, but has not been crowned. God has ultimately, um, um, uh, perfectly revealed himself. His promise is Jesus. But the person and the work of Jesus, we've seen the person of Jesus, but the work of Jesus he is not finally completed. That comes when he returns. Are we following? Biblical faith is rooted in an accurate knowledge of God's promises, which are a progressive revelation of himself through his guaranteed future actions. Let me put one more scripture there, and, and then I'll move, I'll move from there. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the church, there are some people who said, there's a promised resurrection in the new age. That resurrection has already happened. And Paul is saying, look, if that has happened, we're a big... Uh, 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 some people were saying that Jesus Christ had not been risen, was not risen from the dead. That Jesus Christ did not bodily rise. And here's what Paul says. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If you say there's no resurrection, but Christ, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, verse 16, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, verse 20. But Christ has indeed, in fact, been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see God's revelation. God revealed himself as a human being. But it's not just Jesus Christ. Everybody talks about Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ. He says, no, that Jesus, who was God come as a man, who did all those mighty things, but who died on the cross, and now is risen from the dead. That is the Jesus Christ that is God's final revelation. But he then says this, whatever is going to happen to you, we can guarantee it's going to happen. The dead are going to be raised again. Why? Because Jesus himself has risen from the dead. If Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead, then all of you should not be here. So I ask you, and he says, look, if that hasn't happened, your faith is futile, it is useless. So when we talk about having faith, walking by faith and not by sight, he's saying, look, that which is unseen, that which God has promised, that this world will be recreated, that suffering will be banished, that tears will be banished, that sickness will be banished. All of those things that he has promised you, yet you do not have. What guarantee do you have that it is going to happen? Why am I telling you to suffer persecution? Why am I telling you to go through some of the hardship that may come on account of my name? Because Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Now why is this important for faith? And let me ask you one question. When you think about faith and faith in your life, can I ask you this? Do you have faith in God or do you have faith in God for? Dash. 
Do you have faith in God or do you have faith in God for that? Now, let me say this. Some of you are going through certain hardships now. You are going through certain hardships now and you want to complain. You want to say, God, why is this happening to me? And one thing I will tell you is this. Before you do that, think about all the years when God has been faithful to you. The mere fact that you are going through a particular hardship now, don't question God's character because God has been good to you. Amen? That's one thing. However, if I left you with that, that would be totally inadequate. Because some of you would say this, Femi, if you know my past life, uh, yes, I'm not saying that God hasn't been there for me here and there. But man, my life has been really, really hard. So even looking to the past as a reflection of what is going to happen in the future is not very, very good for me. And that's why ultimately your faith cannot be rooted, cannot be ultimately rooted in your own experience. Having faith in God Trust that God's character, the things that he's revealed about himself, the, his attributes, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his wisdom, his knowledge, all of these things work together to say that God cannot be questioned. And his goodness to you would always be there. Even when it doesn't seem like so. If you put your faith in God based on what God is going to do for you, what you believe, what happens when that thing doesn't come to pass? Some of you are saying, oh, I just believe God that this investment is going to work. What if it, barely, it goes belly up? Some people say, I believe God that I'm going to have a fantastic marriage. What if it doesn't work initially? Some people say, I believe God that, that I'm going to get that promotion. What if the person that is less qualified than you actually gets the promotion? Has God ceased being God? Because that is going to be what we should conclude from that. Ultimately, God says, don't judge me based on only the things that you can see now. Judge me on things that are eternal. Is Jesus Christ still on the cross? Is Jesus Christ still in the tomb? Then you can trust me. Put your faith in the things that are eternal. That is the only way you can truly walk as somebody who is strengthened by faith. Ultimately, you can't only just trust God for, and I'm not saying you can't try to do that, but God is saying, trust me. Finally, let's go to the third point. And hopefully we'll be able to bring everything together more practically. The life of faith. So what does this look like? I have a resolution for everyone. Resolution. We're all going to say that resolution together. Very short. Look in Hebrews chapter um, in 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 in, in um, um, um in five verse nine in two Corinthians five verse nine. After Paul has said that um, you know we walk by faith and not by sight in verse seven. Notice what he says. He says, "So we make it our goal to please him." So we make it our goal to please him. Hebrews 11 says, says, without faith it is impossible to please God. So here is our resolution for the year. Just one resolution. Alright? In 2019, I am going to make it my goal to please God. I'll say it again. In 2019, I am going to make it my goal to please God. 
Now, I wish I was going to leave you like that. If I left it that generic, who is going to argue against that? But let's bring it down to details. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we're saying that faith, walking by faith and not by sight, is focusing on that which is eternal as the way we walk through this world, not just the things that we see. Some of the things that we see are the difficulties that we go through. But we focus on the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, because of what he has promised. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What the Lord has prepared for those that... That is not a fat back account. That is not a healing or a, a, that is not a wonderful health all the rest of your life. That's not what he has prepared, obviously, because those things can be taken away. Is that he's prepared a world where none of those things can be taken away. But then what does walking by faith, pleasing God, then look like? Well, two words come to mind. The first word is faithfulness, and the second word is confidence. Faithfulness and Confidence. Take the first word, faithfulness. Now, you know, it is, if you check in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, it then gives us eight descriptors of what a, a, um, a life of love looks like. One of those descriptors is called faithfulness, isn't it? Now, when you think about faithfulness, what do you think about? Faithfulness is some kind of loyalty to a particular person or to a particular cause, isn't it? Right? Faithfulness. So if they say someone is, I'm faithful to my wife, it means that I am loyal to her. I do not share my body with anybody else. I do not, I'm faithful to my wife, right? Now notice what is in the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. Literally, fullness of faith. Like, really? Huh? Yeah. Is it faithfulness to God? In his commandments, we would say that it's loyalty to God's commandments. If God says do something, you do it, isn't it? Now, unfortunately, because of the misunderstanding of faith in our city, most people think that you can have faith without actually keeping the commandments of God. In fact, they'll say, I have faith. I believe God. There are fantastic things that my breakthrough is going to come. But when it comes to talking about how you should use your body and how you should use your money, they say, now you're being legalistic. Or how you should be present in church, or how you should, ah, no, 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 who have made you judge over me? I said, wait, wait, that is what a life of faithfulness. If you say you have faith and you don't do those things, there is a problem. Too many people think that faith is a mental exercise in getting what we want and we do not possess. And many people seem to think that their faith has little to do with morality, obedience, and works. Let me show you a table. Um, next table. Because you see, when we talk about faithfulness and having a life of faith, a life of faith are not by sight. It has moral implications. So you can be on the one hand showing a life of unbelief, or the other hand, you can be living a life of faith. Remember in Psalm 14 it says, the fool says in his heart there is what? Therefore, you say, oh, that's somebody that doesn't believe in God, right? Notice he didn't say the fool says with his mouth that there is no God. Where does he say? In his heart. Now, read after uh, 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 the letter. It now says that those people that live like that are like that. They are evil doers, not evil thinkers. Evil what? Doers. They oppress the poor. They do not use their money wisely. They swear against people. Do you see the point? 
A life of unbelief is always demonstrated in a life that is rebellious against God. You cannot tell me that you have faith. And you say, well, um, I can be sleeping with whoever I want even though I'm not married to the person. You cannot tell me that you have faith. And you say that, well, because I've worked so hard for myself, if I treat my workers like they are slaves, aren't they my slaves? You can't tell me you have faith if you're like that. You can't tell me you have faith. If you are, because you can believe God for mighty miracles, but then you talk to people as though they do not have any dignity. And so when we see on this place, unbelief, temptation inevitably ends up in sin. Obedience, so some say, oh, they don't obey. Now the other ones will say, I really obey, but the obedience is rooted in self-centered gain. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God. It has everything to do with what you can get for somebody for your own gain. Sin is taken with levity. Repentance is usually superficial, self-preserving, and proved with subsequent actions not to last. Now, one of my, the fantastic things about my job is that I see people's lives transformed. One of the horrible things about my job is that I see somebody in front of me who says that they, are, they feel terrible about what they've done. And you know that it is just at the surface. It is not really deeply in their heart. When you've been caught, for many people, when they've been caught, you know, they say, uh, we have the Ten Commandments, but there's an Eleventh Commandment. Thou shalt not be caught. And because of the disgrace, or sometimes when it's a, a, a public sin and it's been found, because of that disgrace, all of a sudden you get into remorse mode. And at that point, you want to quickly fix it. You see, that's why I said it's usually superficial. It's self-preserving because that's why you want to quickly fix things. So that people will not know. It's not at the heart. And usually with those people, just put them under a bit of test for a while. Just under a test for a while. It proves that that faith wasn't genuine. And finally, sin's guilt, some, some other people, sin's guilt makes you feel beyond forgiveness and eventually inoculate your conscience. I don't know if there are some of us here. There is a particular sin you have gotten very used to. At one point, you used to ask God for forgiveness. But all of a sudden, you're like, man, I've done it in so many times. I don't even think God's grace can forgive me. You know what? I don't care. At the end of the day, you know what? Nobody is perfect. And so you don't feel the prodding of that sin again. And you keep going from worse to worse to worse. But you believe that because you sowed a seed somewhere, that you have faith. That's a lie. So what would be a life of faith um, uh, with all of these things? Well, temptation leads to war against sin. You don't take sin lightly. You see that there are temptations that have besetting sins, and so you fight against them. Flee from all appearances of what? You declare warfare against sin in your life. That's a life of faith. Not just, well, I, 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 I'll be born again, I have a new creation spirit, and my spirit does not sin, so I can go near anything that I, you know, all that kind of nonsense. I can go any kind, uh, any, near any kind of temptation, because where? Sin abounds. So the way I can test, the way I can test how fantastic the level of my grace is, is if I actually go near sin. The devil has got you in his hold, if you are thinking like that. 
Obedience is rooted in the fear and the love of God and the well-being of others. Let me quickly put this here. Many people will say this. If you grew up in a church where they were very legalistic, I say, if you don't do this thing, if you don't, if you don't do this thing, God is going to punish you. God is going to, you know. Many of those people now go into another kind of church where everything we do is just, you know, don't hurt God. Look at Jesus now. Look at what Jesus did for you. You'll break his heart if you sin. You know, Jesus, gentle Jesus, make a mild. Ah, look at the tears coming down his eye. In Revelation, it says that his eyes are with fire. He says that his feet are like bronze. Many people say, I fear of God is just it's some kind of reverence and whatever. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, eventually says, look, let's be careful because we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. I am telling you, some of us need to run away from sin out of the dread of God. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to repent. Be reconciled with Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Here's the point. Listen. If I, my wife loves me, my wife, I, just, I believe she loves me. She really loves me tenderly, compassionately. If I do what is wrong, if I am unfaithful to my wife, because she loves me, that fear, that love is going to turn into what? Wrath. Do you understand? If, my, if I cheat on my wife and my wife is not angry with me, do you know what? She never loved me. Indifference is the opposite of love, not rage. Do you understand me? So you cannot separate the love of God and the wrath of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Their destiny was perishing. He showed them his love. And what did he show his son? He showed the son his wrath. In the same instance, his wrath and his love were both manifested. Out of the love of what God has done for you, we flee against sin. But because of the terror of the Lord, we flee against sin. That's a life of faith. Because you believe what God has promised for those who love him, and you believe what God has promised for those who do not love him. That's a life of faith. And I often say many times, when people are caught in egregiously, when I ask them, the first thing is, how God has been taken out of the picture. That's the point. Christianity has become a set of concepts and principles. It's no longer a personal relationship with God. If it's a true personal relationship with God, it has both fear and love put together. Sin is taken seriously. Repentance is God and other-centered, patient, and demonstrates itself with enduring behavior. And then finally, sin's guilt turns you to Christ's forgiveness and to patiently reconcile with those you may have offended. Sometimes you've offended people, and they're not, they are not easily, they're not ready to reconcile with you. Then you now come and say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. First I'm not ready. I'm sorry now. I'll do anything. I'm not ready. I'm, I'm serious. I will never do it again. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not ready. You, you really hurt me. Now, well, God has forgiven me now. But You see, it shows. If you are truly sorry, you will do anything and everything. You will wait. You will not set a timeline. You will not look at a certain behavior. That's how we know they are living a life of faith. Amen? That is faithfulness. The second word is confidence. Confidence. Paul in verse 6 and verse uh, uh, 8 of 2 Corinthians 5. That's the two verse, the verses before and after the we live by faith, not by sight. Says, 
Therefore, we are always confident. Verse 8. We are confident, I say. Confident. Confident. Fide is Latin for faith. Don't throw away your confidence. It's faith. Now, if... And when we think about someone who is confident, we often think about someone who is assured of themselves, isn't it? Say, I look at that lady. She's just so confident, the way she walks around with her high heels, pencil skirt. You know, like she can just take over the world. But from a Christian standpoint, Paul wrote Christian confidence in God's person and character, not in yourself. When Paul was going through certain with, uh, suffering in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9, he said, Indeed, we felt, and received, we felt we received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He rooted it in Christ's work. Our confidence is in what God has done. So when I think about that, we've spoken about the moral implications of walking by faith. But there would also be practical implications of walking by faith. That is, if you believe what God has done in Christ already, what does that mean for you as a believer? Now, as an unbeliever, here's what it will mean. Next one. If you suffer, if you suffer, it often ends up in bitterness, cynicism, and hopelessness. Again, I've spoken to many people who suffer, and you can go in two directions. And one direction the, peop- the person goes to, let's say you suffer a very broken relationship, you know what you say? All men are, be- are bad. Something like that. Or maybe somebody swindled you. You say, all Nigerians are fraudsters. Or sometimes the bitterness comes as a result of this. Someone hurts you. But what ends up happening? You start to hurt everybody else around you. Because you don't know what I am going through. That's a life. You are basically saying this. Wherever God is, I know this. God doesn't care for me. So this life, I'm just going to suffer. I'm on my own. Failure at something worthy leads to quitting and loads of complaining. You started a particular venture. You started this NGO. You, things didn't work out the way you wanted to. And so you just be like, you know what? I'm not cut out for this. So you just stay in your bed. You are moping. Uh, you cannot get up. You cannot do anything. You just quit. When you fail, you see yourself as a failure. And so you end up quitting. A new ideas, or maybe a new idea comes to your mind. All you ever think about, or somebody brings a new idea to you, all you ever think about is the obstacles that keep it from, being, from actually happening. You say, ah, but, eh, but we don't, I don't think we have the money. But you know, eh, there's always traffic. And, but, people are always this. People, you always just talk about how it will never work. Another idea comes up again. Endless, eh, but you know, eh, moving to Lagos is such a difficult thing. How will I manage? That's all. You end up not doing anything. You only ever talk about how things will not work. And then finally, your resources are never enough for your needs and never turn into gospel-centered generosity. I, I, I have not bought this. I have not bought that. But you know what happens? The more you buy, the more you need to what? Because, because if I don't save well, if I don't invest well, if I don't do all of this, uh, you know, um, 
God gives grace, so, but grace opens the door. It's my job to keep the door open. They say the hand of God and the leg of man. But someone who is walking by faith, look at suffering, for instance. What happens? Suffering leads to tenderness, maturity, and character development. You are not beaten down. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. He says, we are hard-pressed. Guys, look, we are in the overlapping of the ages. Suffering is part of what we go through. But Paul says this. We are hard-pressed on every side. Reality, but we are not crushed. Faith. Perplexed, reality, but not in despair. Faith. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The death of Jesus, old age. The life of Jesus, new age. Both of them being carried out in your body. True faith does not say, like somebody, ah, why, didn't you, you know this, why didn't you come to work today? Ah, I was very strong. That's not faith. That is called a lie. You understand? He said we were, we were pressed down. Hard pressed on every side. This is what happened. But we are not crushed. That's the life of faith. Though I am going through such a difficult period now. Though this person really hurts me. And right now my mind feels like it's about to burst. But I know that God is for me. I know that he will bear me up. And so you still manage to show love to people, even though it is hard. Failure at, something, failure at something is the beginning of learning because of the opportunity for reflection. Rather than keep saying this thing wouldn't work, you, you want, okay, I failed at this. This shows me how I shouldn't do this thing. Rather than this shows me how I'm a failure. And then new ideas entertain input that strengthens them and leads to planning and implementation. So you go and, uh, you go and meet somebody, look at your idea, they say, this your budget is stupid. Go and rewrite the budget. Say, I don't even know how to write budget. Go and look for people to help you write, to learn how to write a budget. That's a life of faith. And then finally, your resources are sacrificially, intentionally, and spontaneously directed towards generosity. Let me end this way. You know, there was a guy who um, Jesus said to him, the man brought his, um, his child and he said, he wanted him to heal him and he said, look, if you have faith, all things are possible for you. And he said, I believe, but I do have unbelief as well. Help me with my unbelief. And there are some of us here that have looked at those things and said, okay, I understand this is what is right. I understand this picture about what is unseen. And I really do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I know that the Bible said that God cares for me. I know. But I've been unable to do that all these years. And I don't know that I can do it in this coming year. I need help with my own belief. I know what Jesus is faithful to give us that help. In Jude chapter 20, he says that we should, Jude 1 verse 20, he says, we should build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Praying always in the Spirit. There are two ways we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. 
if you are going to build yourself up in the most holy faith, you have to learn to pray in the Spirit. And by praying in the Spirit, I don't mean speaking in tongues. That's not what he meant. He meant praying this Spirit that was a deposit of the age to come. This Spirit leads us in the place of truth to pray what is in the mind of God. When you pray according to what God has said is true, you are praying in the Spirit because that is what the Spirit leads. And I can tell you, for those of you who are in this church, that always has to happen. This thing I'm, co- I'm communicating always has to happen in two ways. It can't happen in one way. People tend to go in one of two directions. It happens personally and it also happens communally. It happens personally and it happens what? Communally. Your prayer life, your prayer, you can tell how a person behaves. The, the, the state of someone's personal prayer life can tell you a lot about, oh sorry, the way a person behaves can tell you a lot about the state of their personal prayer life. If your prayer life is all about what we call quick fire prayer life, Lord God help me, Lord God I need this, Lord God help me as I go out today, and I suggest that you are not in a very healthy relationship with God. My wife and I have sometimes, we just, can you buy this thing for me? Can you do that? That's important in a relationship. But at some point, we have to sit down and talk about that thing that you said that other day. Or we have to sit down and talk about what we are going to do with these children going forward. Or are we going to move this house? We have to have a serious conversation. If your prayer life is not mixed with both short and long form prayers, can I suggest that you are not setting yourself up to live a life of faith. But at the same time, if you say, my prayer life is a, an, a, an expression of my relationship with God, just me and God. So when the church announces for corporate prayers, eh, eh, well, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he say? What's the first line? Say, when you pray, say what? Not my Father. Prayer is meant to be as well. It's mandated to be communal. Because many times, somebody prays in a way that God is ministering, prophetically ministering to you and you didn't know. But at the same time, you may be doing that for others. At other time, you can also be learning how to pray because you heard somebody else. But sometimes also, the gathering of the Lord's people together to pray itself has effect. So if you want to build yourself and set yourself up, to be someone who walks in faith in 2019. Commit yourself to personal and communal, consistent prayer. Amen? Secondly, to build yourself in the most holy faith. Remember that's in the book of Jude, right? Verse 20. In verse 3, when he was saying, I was deciding what I wanted to write concerning to you guys. I could have written about our common salvation, but I decided to write to you to contend for the faith once and for all entrusted to the saints. Now, the faith is not your faith. Your faith is subjective, building up your most holy faith. The faith is the body of teachings that has been committed to, the, uh, to Christians for over 2,000 years. Do you understand me? The way you build yourself in the most holy faith is to strengthen yourself in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And this means that you have to devote yourself to the study, to the, to the understanding of the Word of God. And guess how that happens? Yeah, you guessed right. Personally and communally. 
That is, if you don't say, don't, don't come and meet me, life is so hard, it's so busy, if you know my work schedule, all of those kinds of things. I'll say, if you got cancer now and somebody gave you a pill and said, if you don't take this pill five times a day, you will die. Are you going to say that I had this meeting at uh, 5 a.m. and I saw I couldn't take the thing? Would you say that? Can we say our walking in faith as serious as that? Make time out to study God's word. I'll say that again. Make time out to what? Study God's word personally. Tomorrow, some of you need to buy a devotional. Tomorrow, some of you need to go online to check for a Bible in one year. And tomorrow, when you bought Bible in one year, you need to tell three people to hold you accountable. This is what I have done. I'm going to read the Bible in this one year. Or I'm going to read the Bible in two years, personally. Second thing is communally. Let me say this. If you just feel well, I go to church today and I come like four days after and I just see everybody, hey, hi, this is what's going to do. This is what we're going to do. When you come and say, hey, hi, I'm going to say, ah, oh, Yemi, hey, hi, what's up? I've not seen you in a while. Yeah, yeah, you know, things have just been so busy. Ah, oh, wow, okay, yeah. All right, sorry. Foolish man. I'll just go. I will love you, but I will say you are, you are being foolish. Because you are not strengthening yourself up. The day of adversity is coming. And you will turn back because your strength is small. Don't stay away. But second, and I have to tell some of us very directly, don't come late either. Sometimes we just saunter in as though, you know, what's there? At least I came. Hey, all of you, I'm here. You need to know I'm here. At least I came. Or if you come in, can you please drop your phone for 45 minutes? Can you avoid doing this? Can you see it as God is speaking to me at this point? You see, now, I'm not saying because something is going to happen to you instantly, right now. But the building of our faith comes as a result of 52 weeks of God's word. Just came, It just keeps coming to you. You don't even know where. It's building you up. So that when those temptations come, they just fall off. They just fall off. Not because of one instant prophetic word that just came. But the building up of your holy faith because you have focused yourself in the faith once and for all entrusted to the saints. Everybody say with me. In 2019, I am going to make it my goal to please Him. So help us God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.